Hello everyone, and welcome to the Warp Source Podcast. I'm Gus. And I'm Sean. Together, we're going to make some grim dark with some humour to make some grim humour. And our mission is to help anyone new to 40k better understand what it is, and if you're a veteran of the setting, hopefully we'll give you something to laugh at. And I'm with all you newbies still, that I know very little about the 40k lore, but I'm looking forward to learn more today. And I'm here to help Gus as ever. I'm going to expand your knowledge, just like the Silatrix Maledictum has expanded the influence of the Immaterium. Sounds good. So, still might be a bit cringy, we're still getting our act together. But just before we get the party started, if you do find us entertaining, we would appreciate your support on our socials. We are Warp Saucy, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Details, you should find them in the show notes and descriptions. But with that out of the way, uh, we're going to have a little talk today about some super soldiers. And some demigods. You know, I never trust stairs. They're always up to something. <laughs> they're, good, they're good today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I'm liking the dad jokes. It's a good little warm-up, I think. I hope everyone listening is enjoying the dad jokes as well. Cool, right. So we're going to get started with this episode then. I was originally thinking we would do the Great Crusade as our next episode because that is a sort of natural lead-in from Unification Wars. But actually, I thought, let's have a little break from history and let's talk a little bit about a specific subject area, which is the creation of the Primarchs and the Astartes and and other genetic projects that the Emperor of Mankind has undertaken. Yeah, that that sounds pretty cool. I love me a bit of genetics. Yeah, the Emperor is a bit of a genius, you might say. (laughs) Oh dear. Did you just come up with that one or did you have that one planned? Uh, I I had a little, like, just before we started, I thought, oh, well, yeah, that's quite a nice little joke. Very good. <laughs> yeah, so, he, I mean, he is a bit of a genius in a way, uh, in many ways, shall we say. The Emperor of Mankind, he likes to experiment with the human genome, and he likes to dabble with a bit of biology and chemistry. And over over time, over the many years of his lifespan, which we will touch on at some point, he has he has dabbled a few times with making enhanced humans, and one of his most famous projects, the project that he used during the Unification War, is the Thunder Warriors, which I know we touched on a little bit in the previous episode. But can you remember what what the Thunder Warriors are, Gus? Uh, a bunch of rebels that are unstoppable, right? Eventually got stopped, but at the time, unstoppable. Well, I guess it depends who they're up against, really. But yeah, against a normal human or even a, you know, a cyber-enhanced human, a cybernetic-type enhanced human, they're pretty tough, pretty tough individuals. Um, they're around eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. You might be interested to know. So they're pretty big. And actually, the girth comes with the height. So they're pretty chunky boys. Mm-hmm. And they're very different to the Astartes and the Primarchs and the Custodes in that they were sort of part of the experiment so he was making these super so the emperor was making these super soldiers and he was experimenting as he went and he made these to be blunt instruments to get a job done which was the unification of Terra, which is old earth and he made them in a very quick and cheap manner which had a whole load of repercussions for them in terms of health concerns with cancers and other nasty things that were developed and they were really created with a combination of chemical cocktails so hyperstimulants, steroid injections all this kind of stuff to make them enhanced and huge hulking monstrosities 
and also dabbled a little bit with something we're going to be touching on quite a bit in a, in a little while called gene seed. Remind me of, um, I don't know why, uh, cheap bread that goes off really quickly. Yeah, stale. They went stale quick. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, mm-hmm. they didn't have long lifespans at all, but they were very resilient uh, while they were alive. Brutish. They could take a lot of damage and continue like, pushing forward. Um, there were 20 legions, which is similar to the Astartes. And they also had Primarchs of their own, you might be interested to know. So just on a random side note, I know that Horus Heresy and the 30k is something that you can buy models for. Could, there, any chance you can buy Thunder Warriors in that? Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I, I don't think so, because I think it's more Horus Heresy. So in that, at that point, the Thunder Warriors are extinct, in quotation marks. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So there is a difference, though, between the Thunderwaters Primarchs and the later Primarchs of the Astartes. They weren't grown from an embryo and developed in the same way as the later Primarchs. They were still just enhanced humans, but they had a bit more cognition. They were really just the generals of the army and nothing more. Mm-hmm. So definitely throwaway tools. It's, it's interesting because I think some people think that the Thunder Warriors were the first super soldiers that the Emperor dabbled with and played around with. But actually... In contrast to the Thunder Warriors, which are very quick, cheap, easy to make, easy to enhance, um, already working with older humans at this point, so you are just enhancing something that's already developed. Um, the contrast to that is the Custodes, who are taken from a very young age, over time, over quite a large period of time, because it's very they're very unique individuals, the Custodes, and they're developed... Uh, almost by a hand-selected process, a very tailor-made process by the Emperor, and they um, are developed into even greater soldiers or even stronger soldiers. They're like the elite of the elite. Mm. Um, So comparing them to Thunder Warriors, Astartes, um, there's just no comparison. They're just another level completely, and they've got a a completely different way in which they're made by the emperor is it me or does it sound like the emperor is playing warhammer by by doing this he's playing warhammer yeah he's making his own like army right he's building his own rule set he's basically playing warhammer right yeah and he's actually making yeah yeah you're right you're right he's gluing them together yeah <laughs> they're not plastic they're plasteel or their armor is mm, at least exactly which is an interesting composite material mm-hmm yeah, so so you've got a bit of contrast there. You've got the very first super soldiers, which were the Custodes, really. And then you've got the Thunder Warriors in contrast to the Custodes, who were very... Um, the Emperor was very selective over. They're like one in a billion type individual. You've got the Thunder Warriors, who were very cheaply made, experimented on, and developed over time to create the technology needed to make a more sustainable legion of super soldiers later on in the Astartes. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to learn more about um, these Kasadis? I'm guessing they stick around a bit longer than what happened to the Thunder Warriors, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, the oldest Astarte at this point in time, I think, is Dante, who's one of the Blood Angels Astartes. He's over a thousand years old at this point in the current setting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right, so before we go into the Astartes, talk a little bit about the Primark Project. What does the term Primarch mean to you, Gus? Um, so I, I'm picturing like a primordial version of a being. So whether that's human or orc, it's kind of the original 
badass. That's what I have in my mind. Yeah, it's very different to what my wife thinks when I say the word Primark. She thinks we're going shopping. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. That didn't even cross my mind, like cheap clothes. It never crossed my mind either, but she heard me say it once and she was like, oh, we're we going out. Not there, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so Primark, you're right. They're sort of the, uh, the original, original template, you might say. It's actually interesting because I, I think the Astartes project was started before the Primarchs project. And the Primark template that was used for the Astartes was sort of introduced afterwards as a stabilization mechanism to allow things like the longevity of the Astartes and to allow their gene seed to be created faster more, in a more stable manner. Mm-hmm. But the Astarte, the um, sorry, the Primark, the Primark projects, there were twenty-one Primarks. I'm leaving a pause there because I want you to say what I thought there were twenty. Oh, uh, oh, because there were there originally twenty legions. Yeah. Oh, I see. So why did there? Why was it twenty? Well, there's always got to be. Is it a leader of the leader? No, no. So one of them is a twin. Well, there's a set of twins. In the Primark, the happy accident was it? Uh, probably. Well, I mean, none of this was by, was by accident. This is all by design of the emperor. True, true, yeah. But yeah, so basically, there's Afarius and Omegan, who are the Alpha Legion Primarchs. There, the Alpha Legion is like the um, special forces secret spy type legion, and as part of that, there are two Primarchs. There are twins who can kind of mimic each other be in two places at once, you know, very sneaky peaky spy type stuff. Um, and that was actually only revealed a few years ago that oh, um, Omegan was actually a Primarch because before then, 20 Primarchs is what people thought. Hmm. Okay, so they're almost quantum entanglement, you could say. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what, what the Emperor's been playing with, but what? There's, a, there's something in, in that, though, because... So the Primarchs are a product of both the Emperor's genome and a female perpetual called Erda, who's their mother. Mm. Do we know much about um, this lady? Yeah, there's a few bits. So, I mean, Erda's been around for quite a long time. The Emperor met her back in the day, you know, back in the early history of humanity. And she's been knocking about with him, along with a few other perpetuals, for quite a, quite a long time. So the Empress had this sort of cohort of perpetuals that he's been knocking around with. And Erda was used, or her genome was used, along with the Emperors, to start the creation process of the Primarchs that were grown from that genome. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder how they met on a night out somewhere at a disco. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, we'll talk about the origins of the emperor at some point and probably go into a bit of Erda. But something that's interesting, actually, Erda is what's, what's known as a tripartite. So mm-hmm. she's actually made of three entities. And she, but she's, she's seen as one until she chooses to split off into the three. Um, so there's something else that's interesting, though. So the emperor and Erda, they sort of make the physical parts of the, the Primarch, and he obviously did some splicing with some other bits in there. I mean, I'm thinking of Lehman Russ. There's a bit of wolf in him, for example. Um, but there's also something interesting. So the Emperor went to one of the planets that's kind of northeast of Terra, if you look at the galactic map. If you're talking about galactic northeast there. Mm-hmm. 
uh, called Moloch. And he went to Moloch for a specific reason because there was a warp portal on Moloch. And he went through the warp portal on his own to gain arcane knowledge to help him in the creation of the Primarchs. Where is this place and what does it do? What did you call it? Moloch. Yeah, so the planet's called Moloch. It's mm-hmm. seems like there's... A, I mean, there aren't many warp portals around, so I'm guessing he went to the, the closest one to Terra. I'd have to check that, but there must be, you know, something like that. There's a reason why he went to this specific warp portal anyway. And no one really knows what happened when he went through the portal. There's some speculation that maybe he spoke to the Chaos Gods and got some knowledge from them to help make the Primarchs. But one of the theories I really like is that the Primarchs themselves aren't just physical beings. I mean, they have psychic abilities, or some of them do. Um, There's definitely an attunement of some sort to the warp and to the Immaterium. So it's speculated that the Primarchs have this this kind of superhuman physique and um, presence in the Immaterium, but they were also combined with entities from the warp wow i, I want to know more about this uh rumor that you had a little chat with the chaos gods that doesn't seem like he would uh, get on well with them no so yeah this is speculation but one of the thing one of the rumors is that maybe he went to moloch to barter and bargain with the chaos gods and then basically backstabbed them mm. and turned against them right yeah so he went quite far out of his way then to get all these little parts to make uh these super soldiers oh yeah it's uh it's not a weekend hobby certain so yeah so so he he combined these various bits together and started to grow the primarchs in what are called gestation capsules so these gestation capsules because he was um afraid for whatever reason that the chaos gods might interfere and dabble with or try and unmake what he's trying to make in the Primarchs. He had to put some pretty strong psychic wards and Geller fields protecting these gestation capsules from the Chaos Gods and they couldn't touch the Primarchs while they were protected in that way. These uh, Geller fields, was these the things that they used to trans uh, go through the warp? Like- so it's a protection mechanism. So yeah, you're right. Some, some Starcraft that go through the warp um, or well, I guess most Starcraft that go through the warp, um, space spacecraft that go through the warp, they have Geller fields or some form of Geller field to help protect them from all the nasties that are trying to eat their souls while they go through the warp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a bit of an issue though, because the law states that Erda had a bit of a change of heart because she got wind of the Emperor's plans for what are essentially her children that are growing in these gestation capsules. And as part of that revelation that she had, she decided that she was going to transport or, or, or remove the Primarchs from the Emperor's grasp and spread them out across the galaxy so that the Emperor couldn't touch them and couldn't interfere with them and make them into these weapons that she was she was fearful that he was going to do. Did she do this while they were still in their digestion? digesting digesting periods or their little babies the digestion digesting periods i can't spell digestion <laughs> pronounce uh, so i'm just gonna gestation digestion. the gestation these biscuits uh were they in these biscuits did they uh were these babies or were they like in a capsule still at this time that's right they were eat, they were eating biscuits yeah yeah no yeah yeah so so they were they were 
like a baby. And it's, so the gestation capsule is basically an iron womb. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're forming into children during this period. Um, very early sort of fetus stages, I guess. It would seem that the emperor, you know, would be able to keep an eye on them and like, wait a minute, where have all of my biscuits gone? Surely he would say that, no? Yeah, so I think he noticed pretty quick after they'd gone missing, but it was too late by that point, apparently. Now, there's a couple of couple of theories here. Maybe Erda was manipulated by the Chaos Gods to do this because they couldn't interfere with the Primarchs directly. Maybe they manipulated Erda to do it. Maybe it wasn't Erda at all. Maybe it was some other phenomenon that caused this to happen. Um, or maybe, just maybe, it was the Emperor himself who had a plan to make this happen because they landed on planets that were, uh, they're like training grounds mm. for the Primarchs, very harsh environments that made them grow to become what they became in the end. So they went missing to the exact place that he would have put them himself. So maybe, I mean, it's very convenient mm. that like, you know, for example, Lehman Russ, who's the Primarch of the Space Wolves, landed on Fenris, which is very attuned to his sort of, Primark abilities, mm-hmm. um, which we will go into. We'll talk all about all the Primarchs at some point in the future. Yeah, either that, or maybe it's a combination of the of both. Maybe Erda was manipulated a bit by the Chaos Gods. They w- like whipped them into the warp to get rid of them, and then the Emperor guided them afterwards when he he couldn't. You know, it was too late. He couldn't bring them back to Earth, so he put them into a place that was going to be beneficial mm-hmm. for their development. For example, there's no there's no like right or wrong answer here. It's just it's all. Um, hearsay and uh, theories, yeah. but interesting to think mm. about. So this was called the scattering, and there is another theory that comes with the scattering hypothesis, which is there's a set of like word bearers. So Captain Argel Tal of the word bearers in particular was potentially tasked with going back in time to turn off the Geller fields that were protecting these capsules and then the Chaos Gods could come and do what they need to do to them to get them to the places that they thought would be beneficial for them to then manipulate the Primarchs. Ah, so the word bearers, I know that these are one of the armies you can play now, but do they have time-travelling weapons? This is all warp-based oh. stuff. So word bearers, they're, um, they're very much Chaos Undivided um, Legion and they probably has some bartering with Zeech to do this. Mm. Okay, fair enough. So there are a few Primarchs that thought that the Emperor did this on purpose. So Comrade Kurz, Gilliman and Sanguinius, they had some suspicions and they thought, you know, this is too convenient that we've landed on the planets or, or each of the Primarchs have landed on the planets they did. So they think that maybe the, the Emperor did do this on purpose or at least had a hand in guiding them to those planets. Yeah. So the Legionus Astartes... These are the super soldiers that everyone knows and loves. The poster boys of Games Workshop. How were they created? What makes them super soldiers? So these are, so are these a difference to the, um, the the initial noble people that they made? What they called custodies, right? Custodies. Custodies. Are, the, are these these are separate to those? Yeah. So the custodies were hand selected, usually from noble families, but the emperor would go in kind of do a bit of sensing of an individual, and then if they've got the stuff that he's looking for, then he'll mould them into custodies 
which are the elite of the elite of the elite. They form his close guard, but they also act as his friends, as his advisors. Um, They are not just schooled in war, they're schooled in arts, they're schooled in philosophy, they're schooled in any manner of things that make them well-educated. He can have a, you know, they can have a conversation with the emperor who is a walking god. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and then we have these legionnaire Astartes. These are, you got, you're about to tell me about these, how they differ from that, right? Yeah, so the custodians are taken very young. So you're talking, you know, toddler age, uh, maybe up to you know, the age of sort of five by the emperor. The legionnaire Astartes are taken around sort of 10 to 12 years old. So 12 is probably quite old for an Astartes to go through the process, although I, th- I believe there have been a few Astartes that have, have gone through the process at 16 or 17. Um, but that's very old to go through the process of implanting gene seed. So the Astartes were originally developed as a replacement for the Thunder Warriors. The Thunder Warriors, like we discussed before, were quite brutish. They're not, very, they're not civilized people at all. For example, there's a few occasions in the law where they'll be sent to go and destroy an army and then they'll be in such a rage of bloodlust after they've destroyed the army, they'll go into the civilian areas and just kill everything. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not a very good force that you want to keep around if you're eventually going to have peace in the galaxy. Yeah, just like having road rage trying to get out of a car park, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that times by 10,000, you know, it's pretty bad. So yeah, so the Legionis Astartes, they were developed to replace them. They're more civilised. They're not, they're not as aggressive. They are still aggressive, but they're, you're able to reason with them. You're able to educate them. And the process of making them is very different to the Thunder Warriors and probably builds on the creation process of the Thunder Warriors. Yeah, okay. Um, but why, why did they get taken at an older age than the Custodes? What was the theory behind that? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. It's just kind of stated that that's the age they're taken in. The process to create the custodies is very different. It, it doesn't, the law doesn't go into loads of depth as to how the custodies are made. But the di- there's a different process, a very different process apparently between the two. So there's only over 10,000 custodies. And like I say, they're sort of one in a, in a billion type individual. They're, they're hand-selected over mm. the millennia the emperor has gone and found individuals, specific individuals, and then tailor-made their their creation process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I mentioned actually. Kasodis are around nine feet tall mm-hmm. as well, so they're they're pretty big boys. They're not as sort of thick, I guess, as or proportionally thick as the Thunder Warriors, but they're they're massive individuals. Their reaction speeds are far superior. Their strength is far superior. They're, um, yeah, they're just all round, just better uh, super soldiers. Yeah. And do, do these ever end up being playable characters or is it Astartes the only playable characters now other than... No, yeah. Custodes, yeah. You can collect yeah. Custodes, yeah. I'm not blown away by the look of some of the models, which puts me off Custodes a little bit, but I love the lore behind Custodes. Ah, uh, gotcha. They are, they're the best of the best. You mm, know? Okay. So there's a reason why the Astartes are called the Astartes. Amar Astarte was one of the scientists that developed part of or one of the gene seed that goes into the custodies, one of the most important gene seed that goes into the custodies. And the Astartes, sorry, not custodies, Astartes. And because of that, 
the Astartes are named after her. Okay. So how do you make an Astartes? Well, you need some gene seed. So we're going to talk a little bit about what gene seed is. It's really viral machines is how it's described. And each one of these, these viral machines, it creates 19 different organs which are introduced to individuals at different stages during the creation process. There's a sort of defined order in which you'd go about making anastates. Certain organs or certain things need to happen before you put the next bit in to the puzzle. And a really key point to all of this that we're going to talk about in a minute is that during this whole process of creation of anastates, which happens over multiple years, every single surgery that takes place, the astartes neophyte is awake during the entire process. Mm-hmm. With huge amounts of painkillers, yeah? Wow. It doesn't go into that, that detail, but they've got to have something. And I don't know why they need to be awake either. And actually, one of these things in particular, it just, like, you just wouldn't be awake during it. But yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the secondary heart there in particular. Right, right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. There are also, so the original creation process for the Astartes, the emperor wasn't happy with the amount of time it took to make them. So he tried to reduce that time span and... While he was reducing that time span, apparently this is why there were certain gene flaws that were introduced into the Astartes, which meant that, for example, the Night Lords and and Raven Guard, they have paler skin than a lot of the other Astartes and also black eyes, which just so happens to help them with stealth and and vision in the dark. You know, so a bit of a side effect there. Is it really a flaw? I mean, maybe. You've got the space wolves, for example, who transform into the wolven if they don't keep check on their brutish and savage abilities or nature, they'll devolve and I say devolve, they turn into almost berserker, minus berserker type um, werewolves, basically space werewolves, which is really cool. And then you've got the likes of, say, like the blood angels that drink their Primarch's blood as part of their ritual process. Um, it gets them closer to sanguineous their primarch psychically and it could also mean that they go into a rage and turn into the black rage which is something that we'll talk about in another completely separate video because it's quite a key thing that happened to cause that particular effect but again another gene flaw these are now playable characters these gene flaw folk right oh yeah yeah they're all they're all Mm. chapters yeah yeah you can play all these these all specific chapters Um, There's also, so there are some particular chapters or space marine legions, I guess at this this stage, that have purer gene seed than others for whatever reason. Three in particular. So there's the Ultramarines, the Grey Knights and the Dark Angel. They have very stable gene seed and they can actually make all of the 19 organs uh, where some of the other chapters can't make some of the organs so because of that maybe they're less effective in a certain way than another but because these chapters specifically have very pure gene seed it allowed them to make huge legions so the ultramarines for example had something like three times they were three times the size of the next biggest legion Um, and i mean part of that is because gilliman their primarch who a lot of people should be aware of he's in the current setting he he sort of his ability his primarch ability is he's a very good um, logistics organizer, organizer, I guess. He's a good manager. 
<laughs> which allowed him to make the biggest empire of all the Primarchs. Fair enough, yeah. It's almost like Demolition Man, where you get frozen and you get given a secret trait and you got project management trait. Yeah, he did get project management traits. But yeah, yeah. It sounds boring, but actually it, it's one of the most effective traits as a general you could have, I think. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So let's talk a little bit then about what Gene Seed actually is. So the Gene Seed is used to make specific organs that are introduced to the Astartes over time. And we're going to go through these organs. There's 19 of them. So we're going to quickly rattle through these organs, um, see if you have any questions about them. I think some of them will go quicker than others. But let's start with the first. So the first, and this this is in order that they're introduced in as well. So the first is the secondary heart, which is probably self-explanatory. It acts as a backup heart in case the primary heart is damaged or Mm -hmm. shuts down for whatever reason. Um, But it also acts something akin to the way in which you know cyclists sometimes dope that illegal thing they do where they try and add in extra hemoglobin into their system so they've got more red blood cells yeah more red blood cells which gives them more uh, stamina and they can go further and whatnot well this secondary heart it does something similar so it's introducing more oxygen more nutrient flow around the body and it's needed for the next set of organs that are put in so the next organ is the osmodular, which is sometimes referred to as the iron heart. Mm. So this is surgically placed at the base of the brain and it forms part of the endocrine system, which controls hormone release. So this organ helps and helps regulate and excretes specific growth hormones, which help the astatis to grow into their size that they're going to become, which is around seven, seven and a half feet tall. Um, it's also coupled with a very specific diet of ceramic-based material that they have to eat. Mm, that's interesting. You have to eat the plates the food comes on. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. So are all of these uh, organs added in, or are some of them grown uh, from within once you've had a gene seed? Do they, like, do they start growing? or? No, I think they're grown externally, and then they're implanted into the body because... Mm. They can't all be introduced at the same time. There's knock-on effects, so you have to each, each be introduced uh, over time at right. different stages. Yeah, so this gives them their superhuman size and strength to begin with, um, and it also causes their rib cages to fuse, and it it makes basically a bulletproof vest. Mm. So their rib cage becomes like a like a or at least a bulletproof or bullet resistant mm-hmm. type vest underneath the skin, underneath the epidermis. We're talking in medical terms. And then this process, just to stop, run a question, they, they start in at this young age as well. Um, oh, yeah. And they're awake. during All this, they're awake. So, I mean, <laughs> so when they get given us a young age, are they still still growing? So when they get this fused chest plate, yeah. do they then, does the chest plate then grow and get bigger? Oh, yeah, 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 mm. yeah. yeah. By the time they finish this process at the age of sort of 15, 16, when they've had all the organs put in, you're talking, you know, there's a seven and a half foot teenager mm. that you're not going to tell to get back in their room surely <laughs> unless you're the emperor yeah exactly <laughs> or a primarch mm. yeah okay cool so let's go on to the next one then so biscopia these by the way these names are very difficult for me to pronounce so i'm doing my best but yeah biscopia biscopia let's go with biscopia digestive so yeah it's a biscuit pia mm. exactly we were talking about biscuits earlier we were 
So this is implanted in the chest and this enhances the physical combat ability and survivability of an Astartes um, through, again, hormone release and, and muscular growth. So it's just another enhancement type thing. You have the hemostamen, which is referred to as the blood maker. And this attaches to a blood vessel and it changes the composition of the blood. So we had the secondary heart, which is pumping more nutrients and oxygen around. Well, this changes the composition of the blood to make it more efficient so it can carry even more oxygen and nutrients around. And it turns the Astartes blood to bright red color. So if a blood, if, if Astartes ever gets injured, or if you're ever painting up your army and you think, oh, maybe the Astartes had an injury or you're killing ultramarines or killing some Astartes, then you want to put some blood on your on your models to kind of signify that. Paint it bright red because that's the sort of blood that they have because of these extra nutrients and oxygen. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Cool. There's the Laramans organ, which is known as the healer. So this is a uh, an ability to cause faster clotting of wounds. So this particular organ creates Laraman cells which then attach themselves to white blood cells. So if there's ever an injury, then the Astartes can heal that tissue in a matter of seconds all of a sudden. So this massively increases their resilience as a soldier. Yeah, and do these all have the exact same effect or do they, um, with like what you were saying earlier about reduced times having different uh, examples, do they all have the same effect or can like one... Ultramarine have slightly better heart than another. So, I mean, there must be slight differences mm -hmm. in um, the process sometimes, but generally, you know, they all have the same effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the makeup of the individual that this is being implanted to must have an effect on that too. If you're getting down right down into the weeds, but there's there'll be slight differences between them, which is why sometimes you have, um, you know, whenever they have a fight, so a starties versus starties, one of them comes out on top. Maybe that's because one of them's slightly better attuned to these organs, for example. Yeah, okay. Or they have slightly better organs, maybe. Yeah, a better starting base, perhaps. Yeah, potentially, something like that. Right, this is a word that I'm going to completely balls up, but we'll, we'll give it a go. The ca calypsian, calypsian node. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. This is the, un the unsleeping, is what this is referred to. So this is an implant that's put into the cerebrum. So this detects stress or fatigue that the Astartes might be under and it's associated with sleep deprivation. So if for some reason the Astartes is up for a prolonged period of time, this takes control of the, um, the processes in the brain and it will turn parts of the brain off while keeping the Astartes functioning. So the Astartes can go for a prolonged period of time without sleep. Mm, the Red Bull Center. Yeah, it's pretty much pretty much the Red Bull slash Relentless type yeah. center. Yeah, but I mean they have to sleep eventually. Sleep is important for all human beings. It looks like, even super soldiers. And apparently, the longest time that a space marine's stayed awake for is around thirteen and a half days. So I don't think that's that dissimilar to the current human record we have here, um, in our current time. You know, in reality. Yeah. So maybe they're not that dissimilar to us after all. I feel like I've been awake for 13 days already, just today. True, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the primonoma, which is known as the neutralizer. So this is a second stomach, which is a, uh, a, 
a processing center before the, any nutrients go into your into your normal stomach. And what this does is it detects to- toxins and neutralizes toxins or poisons before it goes into your um, your pr- primary stomach to then you know be introduced to the rest of your body. These things will be neutralized, so it means that Astartes can eat things which would usually be poisonous or toxic to uh, to a normal human, and they'll survive it. You know, there's no problem for them. I definitely have one of these second stomachs, more volume than for poisonous. Yeah, maybe not the neutralizing element, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the on- omophagia. I'm gonna say this is how you pronounce this one. Yeah, nailed it. So this one's a really weird one. So. The other ones you can kind of get on board with, there's some scientific information that backs them up. You kind of expect that they might work. This one's called the Remembrancer, or it's referred to as the Remembrancer. And what this, so it's implanted into the spinal cord and wired into the central nervous system. And it allows anything that's eaten by the space marine that's an organic thing, it can take the DNA and RNA protein sequences out of that thing that's eaten and it will translate them into information the brain can process and access memories from that material. Mm, so it's eating the memories of people. Yeah, so the, so Astartes can digest, say, brain matter from something and it can, it can glimpse the memories that were contained in that brain matter, for example. Mm, interesting. It's a curveball, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So the next one, this is an easy one to pronounce, uh, the multi-lung. This is known as the imbider. And this is a third lung that's implanted in the chest. And it allows the ability to extract oxygen from poor oxygenated environments. And also it filters any toxins and poisons that are in the air. And it's basically an anus that's on the front of your throat. Wow, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I was thinking it's a bit more pleasant than that, but okay. I was all, it's a sphincter, uh, sphincter of some sort. I was all game until I heard that. I was like, nah, I'm right now. Get, give yeah. me the others. Like, oh, that'd be really useful. No, I don't want. I don't want an arse on the front of my nah, throat. Nah, I already talk a lot of um, <laughs> rubbish already. So yeah, uh, yeah, that'll increase it definitely. Mm. There's the oculobe, which is the eye of vengeance. Um, it's an implant that again is at the base of the brain and it connects to the retina. And allows hormone adjustments for supersight. So what happens with this specifically is it's put into your your eyes or attached to your retina. So imagine, uh, by the way, all of this, you're, you're alive or you're awake, sorry, while this is happening, <laughs> all of this. So they take your eyes out of your face and they attach this organ to your retina. And then once that's, once that's done, it's sort of... in. It's tuned over time to allow this super sight, so you get night vision and you can see a lot more information from from a, you know, quite a distance away, all that kind of stuff that would come with super sight. But the initial process, you're awake and someone pulls your eye out of your face and then has a little play with it. Mm, that sounds awful. Mm, yeah, well, it's, it's, it, it sounds awful. It is awful. It is awful. I mean, the effect that you get from it is pretty good. But I would say it looks awful, but I, would, I wouldn't suggest it. Yeah, literally, you can look behind you. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. I hope no one's eating, by the way, while I'm going through this. Yeah. Okay, there's the Lyman's ear, which is known as the sentinel. So this is an improvement to the structure of the ear 
It makes Astartes immune to dizziness and any kind of ill effects you might get from vibration and, and other things, uh, motion sickness, that sort of thing that is caused by the structure of your ear. It makes it more robust against those things and makes them immune to it. And it also and enables them to filter out specific sounds and hone in on things of interest that they're looking for from a, an audio perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got that too because I can hear quite well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you you, you know you can't selectively tune out specific things. Well, actually, do you know what? An interesting fact, you do actually, over time, if you're with someone in particular, um, say your wife, for example, you do actually, or your, or your husband, you do actually filter out part of their voice or that it's like a notch filter in your in your hearing there's a particular professor that wanted to know why he was ignoring his wife and he didn't mean to and he uh he basically profiled his hearing against his wife wife's voice and there's a particular notch he had in his hearing Mm. <laughs> at his wife's frequency. I can, I can, I can totally get on board with that. Yeah, yeah. I think it just happens naturally. Um, it happens both ways, but you know. Cool. There's the Susan membrane. So this is known as the hibernator, and it's an implant in the cranium. It merges with the cerebrum, and through training and practice, the astartes can enter into suspended animation. So they can put themselves into a suspended state, then they're, they can be reawoken many years later through a specific phrase or hypnotic suggestion um, or chemical therapy. It can wake them back up. Um, there's a couple of uh, stories around a particular dark angel who was awoken after this period. So the official law behind this is that the Astartes was woken up 567 years after they went into the suspended animation state but actually what happened was it was 10,000 years after they went in but the dark angels couldn't couldn't say that they need a need a better alarm clock yeah something like that <laughs> but yeah it just goes to show like using you know that particular feature you can go to sleep for a long period of time wake back up and you're kind of fine i mean that particular astartes went insane mm, just like me on a sunday morning yeah, you can go to sleep for a while and actually wake back up and you're, you're kind of okay. There's the melanochrome, which is the skin shield. So this attaches to the limbic system and it controls the melanin in your skin. So it's your natural sun UV protection and it gives the Astartes their skin color and, and in theory allows them to adjust that skin color appropriately for the environment they're in to allow protection against ultraviolet and, and other ionizing rays that would come from the different solar um, encounters and proximities they are to solar radiation, basically. But some of the some of these Astartes, uh, as part of the defects they have in their genomes, they, they have differing skins. And it doesn't quite operate correctly. So I mentioned the Night Lords and the Raven Guard earlier. They have pale skin. They can't adjust their skin color. There's a bit of a defect there. Mm. But in theory, they should be able to adjust depending on the environment or the radiation they're subjected to. So did they get a completely new skin? Did they have the previous skin removed and you were added? Uh, no. So this organ's implanted and then mm. through a mixture of hormones. And um, I think it's mainly hormones, this one. Mm. It allows them to 
have control over the... Well, I think it's more of like an automatic adjustment depending on what they're exposed to. Yeah, okay. There's the elytic kidney. So this is known as a purifier. This is an interesting one. It's implanted in the abdominal cavity and it's used for emergency detoxification. So if there's something that the second stomach can't quite neutralize and it's gone through into the Astarte's body, then it basically causes the Astarte to violently eject this contents through any orifice or the closest orifice available and it basically allows them to like crap this stuff out and as part of that the Astartes will go unconscious so that um, it tries to preserve them as best they can but imagine being in your power armor while this happens <laughs> I mean this sounds like a normal Saturday night really to be honest like yeah at the end of it your body goes yeah that's enough of that and then wherever you are out it comes not even a heavy Saturday night. It's just a normal Saturday night. Yeah. yeah, like right now. But it's a Friday. That's how early it is. Yeah. Yeah, we changed our recording days, didn't we? We're on a Friday now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the neuroglottis, which is also known as the devourer. This is an implant that's placed in the navel cavity, and it allows the detection of toxins and nutrients from food and other sources. Uh, it's, it's Basically, it's an increased sense of smell, um, similar to that of a dog. So suddenly you can protect certain particulates in so many thousands or millions of particles that are way in advance of what a normal human can. There's the mucranoid, which is also known as the weaver. So this is an implant that's placed in the central nervous system and it responds to chemical stimulation and secretes a waxy protein from the pores of the body and basically encases the astartes in a resilient cocoon that can survive you know the vacuum of space for example so they can they can go into this state and hopefully be retrieved uh, at a later time by whoever's passing by i guess hopefully they've got a beacon or something on them when they go into this state otherwise they'd be floating for a while mm, that's quite handy to have yeah it's pretty cool isn't it um there's the betcher gland which is an interesting one it's called the poison bite so this is a set of glands that's in the mouth and it turns, it can, well, on activation, it can turn an Astartes saliva into corrosive acid, which is used to break down really harsh materials or they can spit it at their enemies to cause some, you know, think of aliens, mm. like that type of effect. So acid melting through bone, melting through armor, you know, it's pretty corrosive type material. They can also do things like, if they're on a really harsh planet, they can eat rocks and get some nutrients from rocks and other things that, you know, you wouldn't normally be able to digest. That's pretty cool. I've never uh, heard of um, that ability for space marines to be able to spit acid. Uh, I've never even seen it in a rule. Yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? Well, I mean, usually they've got their helmets on, but uh, I guess there's some dark angels that don't usually have their, handle, their helmets on, do they, as models? But yeah, mm. maybe that's one of the lesser known ones then. There's the pronogenoid gland this is a really key one probably the most important one actually of, of well kind of the impo- most important one of all of them this is a gland that is basically well it's, it's, it's implied in two places i think there's one in the throat and one in the chest and after five or ten years i can't remember which one's which now but one of them's one of them's developed after five years the other one's developed after ten years it collects the gene seed 
from each of the separate organs in the Astartes body and it holds those the gene seed inside the pronogenoid gland and it's basically a set of bollocks that it's a it's a reproductive mechanism basically hmm. so if they're if they um after a period of time they might have it extracted to make a new Astartes warrior to give that new Astartes warrior the gene seed needed to make these organs or if they're if they die in battle then um, an apothecary will come along and extract the pronogenoid gland so that it can go and make new Astartes. These um, seeds come from, I'm assuming, male uh, ultramarines or whatever, going into another male to make another ultramarine. Did I, right? Did I get it right? Have we missed out the female part of this? Yeah, so actually there are no female Astartes mm. because all the primarchs are male. So the genome has to be male. Unfortunately, there are no female Astartes. So yeah, it's it's all it's all chemicals, all cells. Mm. Don't overthink it, man. No, nope, I'm gonna I'm not gonna think anymore. Right. And then the other really crucial one is the black carapace. So this is an interfacing organ which allows the Astartes to interface with the power armor they wear. You don't need this to wear power armor. So Sisters of Battle, Sisters of Silence, and some other individuals within the Imperium can wear power armor and do wear power armor. But the Astartes will far outskill them in wearing that power armor because for the Astartes, the power armor is like a second layer of skin because they're interfaced with it on a cybernetic level through the black carapace so it gives them quicker reaction speeds better sensing abilities better situational awareness um it's a second skin for them basically yeah okay that makes sense cool and then an honorable mention is the canis helix which is specific to the space wolves so this is a it's described as a cup of liquid that they drink after they've gone through this this other process and they've survived, because a lot of people die, you know, while they're going through this process, they can't take the pain of being operated on while they're awake or there's rejection of organs, you know. Um, there's a lot of things that could go wrong during this process to make an Astartes. It's a very complicated process, as you can probably tell. So the Canis Helix is introduced to a Space Wolf company after they've gone through this process. And it's a cup of liquid. I'm not sure what's in the liquid, but they drink it. And there's a chance they will turn into a wolfen, which is why I mentioned before that um, the flaw in their gene seed. So they could turn to this brutish, basically space werewolf type thing that can't really think in the right way and is just a like a uh, like yeah like a hulking brute really. Or if they can temper themselves and not fall into the wolfen form, which can take effect at any point during a space wolf's existence it's not just during this process if they can survive that and if they can temper it and if they can remain stoic and resilient against this change then the space wolves get an amplified aggression and reaction speed and they become on senses and they just become a little bit more superior to other astartes because of this and this is at any point or just during this uh, magic drink? So this drink gives them those extra senses, those extra abilities, but they could turn into a wolf at any point. And how does this After they've done drink this? affect uh, the other 
the non-space wolf peeps. None of the other space wolves do this. Uh, sorry, yeah. it's only space wolves that do this. Ah, yeah. okay. And this this is part of the reason why they're referred to as the Emperor's Executioners. So the space wolves are all so each of the chapters have a specific role that they they kind of they form as part of the Emperor's legions. And the space wolves are usually referred to as the Emperor's Executioners. So they're a little bit superior to the other Space Marine legions. And the reason for that is because potentially the Emperor needs them to go and put some other legions in their place to kind of make sure they're doing what he expects them to do during their crusades. Oh, interesting. Oh, I could see why they're very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're cool. They're just so cool. Space Marine, Space Wolves are so good. I'm assuming there's some other special rules for the other ones. For example, Grey Knights have must have something cool because I've got some Grey Knights, so they must. I want, I want them to be just as good. Tell me they, they are just as good. So the Grey Knights, they don't have any specific different gene seed. They have... So some of these legions, as I said before, don't have all the organs because their gene seed isn't stable. The Grey Knights do have all the organs because mm. they've got very stable gene seed. And the reason why they've got very stable gene seed is because they have the Emperor's gene seed. Mm. Okay. So they were converted specifically as anti-demon type so they are very potent psychers, which is why they're in that legion. Um, and they have the Emperor's gene seed behind them, which makes them, a, it gives them a bit of an edge against the other Astartes. There is a specific incident that happens during one of the stories where they square off against space wolves and they actually back down when they're up against the space wolves, which is interesting. I guess they didn't want to and completely demolish them, right? That's what I'm hoping. Well, there's a particular part in the story where a space wolf cuts down a uh, a grey knight. I'm just trying to think of what what actually happens during the story. But a, a space a space wolf kills a grey knight in a matter like a, in a split second because the grey knight insults the space wolf and he won't won't the space wolf uh, sorry the grey knights won't leave Fen, the Fenris system. Mm. Oh. So yeah, so so. The jury's out on that one. I think it'd be an interesting fight. But uh, Space Wolves are not nothing to... You know, they're not slouches. They're uh, they're pretty good. Yeah, okay. And we're going to talk more about each one of those, I guess, at some point, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to go into into each of the chapters for sure. Um, there's also Primaris. I won't go into loads of details because I think we'll talk about Primaris at some other point. But they're the newest kind of Space Marines in the scene. It's a. It was a task that Gilliman set Belisarius Crawl to enhance the Emperor's work with the Astartes and create a new set of super soldiers, which are a bit more superior, a bit more immune to chaos. Um, they have three extra organs, but like I say, we can go into that some other time. Cool, yeah. And it's also worth mentioning that there's no standard process for the Space Marines to create these organs. They each have their own rituals to do this and their own mechanisms to harvest gene seed and cultivate gene seed. Okay, so these happening on each one of the like their little area, their planet, their home world per se. Yeah, originally it was the Emperor and his gene cults that went and created the Astartes, but then in the current setting each of the chapters have a specific apothecary or um, sets of apothecary in the chapter and they look after the gene seed and make sure that 
the chapter has enough neophytes to repopulate fallen space marines and they also harvest the pronogenoid glands from fallen space marines or space marines that have come of age to then create more Astartes. Cool. Each Astartes can basically create two more Astartes, so you can always replace the numbers that are lost, Mm. is the idea. Yeah, interesting, yeah. And I guess at some point we'll also talk about how some of these people might turn into psychers. Yeah, some some individuals just are more attuned, Mm. you know, psychically, and if they are, then some of them get selected to come into the Astartes legions. That they still need to survive this process on top of being a psyker. So there's still, you know, there aren't many psychers in legions unless you're talking about the Grey Knights, which are just, they're all psychers. Mm, cool. Right. So I think, yeah, I think that that's, that's a pretty good coverage of what a Primarch is, what a Custodes is, what a Thunder Warrior is, and then, of course, what the Astartes are and the, what, what is what's meant when someone says Gene Seed. Hmm. Yeah. You now know, and hopefully I will remember past in the next hour Also, If not, you can always listen to it again. You can. Um, I definitely will need to, because I'm not going to remember all of that. Mm, definitely. So. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. Uh, and hopefully it was enjoyable to everybody to learn a bit more about that. And as always, there's loads of uh, to go into for each one of these bits, like every one of those different types of custodies. Did I get it right? That come out of the... Oh yeah, it's crazy. So mm. each, so each each custodies just one little bit, one one final bit. Like I say, the hand selected each custodies is a hero in his own right. So there's there's tons there's tons and tons you can go into. Obviously, we're trying to make these episodes around an hour long, but yeah, there's tons and tons you can go into. But that's a nice overview of those those particular things, um, demigods and super soldiers. Okay, cool. So I guess that's what we're saying is that wraps up today's podcast. Hopefully you find it's entertaining enough to join us next time at least. Don't forget to catch us on our socials at Warp Saucy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.